Hey, thank you for tuning in to Performance Anxiety. I am your host, Mark. And today we welcome Sarah Safai and Evan Taylor to the show. Together, they're Purple Witch of Culver. They're an experimental jazz electro-funk duo with an infusion of poetry. Sarah tells me that one of her musical influences is, in fact, Lisa Simpson, and Evan's parents have an unusual way of showing their support for his choice of career. And Evan's mom even calls in the middle of the podcast. The duo has three singles out right now, and they're like nothing else has come out in 2020. It's kind of like a mix of vintage electronics and St. Mark's Poetry Project. Check out the music on Bandcamp or through the streaming services and follow them on social media to find out about their upcoming releases, which they're planning on doing one per month. And I'm pretty sure they're the only Purple Witch of Culver out there. And you can follow us at Performance ANX on social media. Subscribe, rate, and review. And if you like the episodes, maybe consider saying thanks with a cup of coffee. We'll pass it around. You can do it once with no commitment after that. Let's get things going with Purple Witch of Culver on Performance Anxiety, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. <laughs> nice. Um, okay, I think you should introduce yourself first, then I'll uh, say we're in Purple Witches Culver on Performance But we should say it together. Yeah, yeah we're, we're on Performance Anxiety <laughs> podcast. We are Purple Witch of Culver. Like okay. that? Or we're Purple Culver. We're on Performance Anxiety okay, okay, podcast. Okay, 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 okay. Let's, let's try it. Should we do our ads or whatever? We don't need to do that. We're good. Okay, cool. All right. Well, I'm ready. Okay. okay. I'm Sarah Safai. And I'm Evan Taylor. And we are Purple Witch of Culver on Performance Anxiety Podcast. <laughs> and we have two singles available uh, currently on Spotify, Apple Music, Bandcamp, all the platforms. And we have more music coming on a monthly basis. Yeah, released on Luantica Records. And an EP coming in early 2021. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. All right, then I'm going to finish up my, my wine in a mason jar. That's, <laughs> that's the way I'm rolling thanks. tonight. <laughs> I want to find out more about you guys, about how you got into music in general, how you met, all kinds of stuff. So I guess the first thing I want to know from each of you, and this show is all about just conversations, so don't worry about going off on tangents, don't worry about long answers, there's no time limit, nothing like that. So, Sarah, how did you get into music in the first place? Were you, uh, did you, did you grow up in a musical family? Were your parents really into music? Uh, well, I suppose it was, you know, I was surrounded by music thanks to my parents at an early age or, you know, from an early age. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, my mom showed me her records uh, when I was like a kid, you know, I was like five or six years old, like getting exposed to the Beatles oh, and yeah. like, you know, Blondie, Devo, like all kinds of stuff. Oh, wow. Like, yeah, a lot of stuff from like a really early age. Brian Eno. Um, wow. And... I used to just, you know, it was like the early nineties. So I used to just kind of like lie there and listen to the Walkman like all the time. <laughs> like my mom had vinyl that she like ripped to cassette tape. So that's what I would listen to. And like my parents would actually bribe me to go places by like, you know, being like, okay, you can listen to the, to the Walkman. And I'd take the Beatles with me and that's it was really awesome. fun. That yeah. Awesome. I, yeah, it was cool. That was like how I started. And then, you know, I eventually I started playing saxophone when I was nine years old, the alto. Oh, cool. um, 
yeah, I played for years, like doing band and various competitions and stuff like that, uh, taking lessons, uh, like classical and jazz kind of stuff. And then I started playing baritone when I was 17. And that was like, whoa, like that kind of like lit up my world, you know? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So saxophone, was that something that was chosen for you to start with? Or was that something that, that you were drawn to? Uh, you know, it was funny. We, we had like the assembly for a uh, band, like when we were like, you know, I was in fourth grade and they were kind of going through all the different instruments and yep. I knew I didn't want to play clarinet or flute because I was just like, <laughs> like, I don't know, like the tones just didn't really speak to me as much. And, and I, I think I went home and I was like, mom, what should I play? And she was like, why don't you try the saxophone? And I was like, okay, you know, cause I knew about Lisa Simpson. So it was kind of just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It was kind of a spur of the moment kind of, you know, decision. Awesome. Um, and I was the only girl who played saxophone too. So like that motivated me because I got teased, you know? So of course, like I had to be, I had to be on my game. Yeah. You know, I had to really work at it. And it was really hard for the first year because I had a, like a pretty crappy, like pawn shop saxophone. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. I don't know. We just, we didn't really know what we were doing. So we we're like, whatever. Like we went to like this, like music store that was like kind of like a pawn shop music store. And, uh, <laughs> So I remember I was like, I was like almost 10 years old and I was like, mom, should I keep playing? And she was like, you know, she was like, yes, like keep going. Like I'll get you like a better saxophone. And so then we got me like, you know, a better like student model Yamaha. And as soon mm -hmm. as I got that one, it was like way easier to play. So it kind of like inspired me further, you know, to just keep going. That's awesome. That's awesome. I know my, my kids had to do something like that. They all, all three of them play in the well we used to be marching banded they also play in the symphonic and, and the concert band and all i've got a uh trumpet a tuba and a french horn nice so, yeah but what they did was they just had the kids come in and try different instruments and then see which one they liked the best so oh cool so that was yeah. a little different but all right so evan what about you how did you get into music were you were your parents big into in, into music uh, my parents are not musical by any means. Really. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, my father is a psychiatrist. My mother is a social worker. Oh, wow. um, my sister was able to play piano by ear um, a little bit. Oh, cool. um, and I was kind of jealous of that because I loved music, but I couldn't crack it in the beginning. Um, I even remember one time my cousins came over and they had been taking piano lessons and all the kids put on a talent show and, played piano and I couldn't play. So I did a magic show <laughs> and, uh, family, just humiliating experiences that really motivated me to, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to, to learn something. But then, um, nothing motivates you quite like humiliation, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and, um, so then when I was about eight, my parents got me a drum set and I got a few lessons, uh, and my mom bought me a cassette of the Beatles' greatest hits, and I just started wow. playing along and learning all the Ringo parts. And and then through the years, progressing through middle school and high school, I just learned a bunch more instruments, uh, mostly self-taught. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, less than here and there, but that kind of continued into uh, two years of school. I went to Cal Arts for two years and then dropped out okay. and then just pursued music. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and, and so, sir, you, you went to college for music, right? You went to the new, uh, new school for jazz? 
Yeah, I did. Actually, that's um, I moved there or I moved to New York straight out of or straight out of high school to attend the New School for Jazz. And uh, it was a great experience. You know, I, I was formally at the school for like a year and a half before I dropped. Okay. Um, and I mean, I you know, I ended up like I transferred into like the liberal arts program. I did psychology, music, cognition, neuroscience, kind of that stuff. Oh, but wow. I was still at the school, like, you know, going to sessions all the time, playing rehearsals. It was just, it was a really, really great way to get connected to the music community, the jazz community in New York. Like it really hooked me in. And okay. then it just felt like the right kind of move to like, you know, kind of abandon the institution aspect and just follow the music. And, and so what got you into jazz? Ooh, Charles Mingus, uh, Charlie Parker, John Coltrane, like yeah, the classic uh, guys, the classic guys. I mean, I think it was like, I, I tried out for jazz band when I was in sixth grade and I made it, it was called Abrica jazz. And like, it was like this kind of cool thing where we got to like, <laughs> travel around to different elementary schools in the district and like show off like our blues scale improvisations, you know? Okay. So, so I did that and I was like the featured alto player of Africa jazz. So that kind of was like a nice little ego boost. I kept going. I remember I got my first bird CD when I was like 12 and that like oh. totally blew my mind. I mean, the first time I listened to it, I was like, I don't know what I'm hearing, you know, but that's, like I kept listening and that's cool. amazing though. At 12 though, that's still crazy. I mean, if, if I was at, 12 i was i'll see 12 was, yeah van halen was me for that 12. <laughs> yeah yeah totally, so, totally. <laughs> so so to be listening to some you know pretty complex jazz and and i know you you know you said it took a you know a bunch of listens to get into it but still i mean that's that's pretty impressive yeah i mean it was cool i was lucky <laughs> i was lucky to be exposed to that my mom got me the cd you know and then i think i started having lessons shortly after and my lessons basically just comprised of me like improvising to different progressions and stuff and oh, cool. just kind of getting into playing and like kind of like realizing how fun it was to play. Yeah. You know, that, that was like the important part of those early years So before I got really serious. Okay. So Evan, what about you now? Were you more of a jazz guy or funk guy? How did you, how did you get into something that's because being self-taught, I'm not sure is jazz something that, that you would gravitate to, or is it more, I, I imagine I hear a lot of people saying that they're self-taught and then they end up in, in just your typical rock band. I don't see a whole lot of them going off into jazz and funk. So what was it that brought you over to that side? Well, um, you know, I still always essentially consider myself like a rock or indie player. Okay. But I kind of understand this jazz language, too, because I studied it and I pursued it. But um, that came about, I think, from just like the appreciation of, of jazz and like listening to it. And there's a while kind of like when I was in college where there's this idea that if you wanted to be a great session musician playing rock, you had to be great at jazz. So I spent so many years just thinking that I needed to do that. And I studied different concepts. But uh, okay. then, you know, I, I got to a point where <clears throat> I was pretty confident with being able to to use some of those concepts and fuse them with rock, then get into funk a little bit. It was just a really natural occurrence. I think, you know, I like I grew up with one of my favorite bands or my two favorite bands in high school were like Parliament and Funkadelic and the Beach Boys. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. That's so it's awesome. like, very, oh, yeah, major spectrum there. Yeah. So. 
Um, so I was borrowing different aspects of both of those styles of production and, and composition. And, uh, I think that's what kind of lends itself to like my, not my quote sound, but my uh, approach. That explains it really well. And, you know, those, like you said, those are two really disparate ends of the spectrum there. I mean, you got the, the genius of Brian Wilson and the genius of George Clinton. You don't think of the, yeah. the, the two of them meshing really well but in the, the music that i've heard from you guys it, it now that you mention it i'm kind of listening to listening to it back in my head a little bit and that's it's making a little more sense to me now so yeah all right so sarah i have i have a question f- uh, about your poetry oh yeah you, you got involved with the saint mark's church poetry project and i've heard about that but i'd really don't know anything about it can you tell me a little bit about what it is and and what it does for up-and-coming poets oh absolutely yeah so it's it's basically you know i would consider it one of the most important poetry institutions probably in the world um it was founded i believe in the early 70s um and it's sort of like you know it was this 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 location for poets to kind of come together and experiment with like kind of pushing the boundaries, um, you know, so it became like a breeding ground for a lot of like sort of just cross pollination between different arts. Like there was, you know, there was artists there, there was musicians there. Patty Smith got her start there. Um, you know, various people like that. Thurston Moore came through it, you know. Is that where uh, Jeff Buckley did his first public performance? I I want to say he did something. I don't know if it was St. Mark's, but I want to say it was something similar to that. It could be. It could be. You know, there was like a lot of like really amazing quintessential performances there. Richard Hell came out of there too. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 It's like a really, really great spot for experimental poetry. And they're still pushing the envelope. Um, you know, they still have like amazing, um, you know, an amazing lineup of readers. And so how does it work? What, what is it like if you, if you go there uh, just to not as a performer, really, but if I wanted to be in, in an audience there, what, what, what am I going to experience? What's it like? Is it like a, a concert, but with poetry or. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly rock stars there, you know, like there's the poetry rock stars. It, it kind of depends, like, you know, the biggest event they have is the, uh, the new year's day festival, which is poetry all day. It's like 12 hours of poetry. Oh, wow. Um, it's amazing. And I actually, I performed there, uh, a couple of years ago. It was oh, awesome. one of my, one of the highlights of my live performance career was playing on that stage because it's just so meaningful, you know? Um, yeah. but it's, it's really cool. You know, like you just, for that event you go and you're just like completely inundated with like all the latest kind of thought waves that are out there. You know, it's really, it's really, it feels like such a privilege to have been involved in that organization. Um, you know, and then of course they have the weekly poetry events as well. They have like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, right now due to the pandemic, I don't, I think they've shifted to like an online model, but you know, it was just, it was such a great way to just immerse myself in the poetry scene because like you're sitting in the crowd and you're like, Oh, there's Eileen miles. Like Eileen miles is like legendary poet. You right. Know? Like there's everyone still like, like it's a scene and like people are still coming. So you know? big names will show up there still. It's not now, are they going to be among the other performers just kind of mingling around or, or is it like a festival 
you know, where, where the, the headliners are kind of off in their own little section, uh, shielded away from everybody. Oh, I mean, they totally mingle. Like, that's the cool thing about poets is that they're pretty down to earth, even if they are rock stars, that's you know, awesome. like, and they're down to talk, you know, like if you're like, hey, man, like I that one, like, you know, that book you released or like, oh, I found your chat book from the 70s, you know, like they're always down <laughs> to like have a conversation about that. You know, it's it's really cool. It's like awesome. it's like the old like East Village culture, like kind of preserved in one space. Oh, that's really cool. That's really awesome. Yeah. So, so your parents are not musicians, as you mentioned. At what point did you decide that music was for you? And, and, and what did they think when you told them, uh, yeah, I, I want to be a professional musician? Um, I was I'm assuming you already told them. Uh, yeah, they sold it. Up. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. I uh, I was watching the MTV Video Music Awards, and I think I was watching both the band Jamiroquai and Spice Girls perform, <laughs> and I noticed that other musicians behind them who played okay. who weren't the Spice Girls, and I was just <laughs> like, oh, I wonder what it would be like to be the drummer in like for a touring artist or something like that or like be the keyboard player and they're all like you know killing musicians who are backing up these people at that point i think that was in like 1997 or something and i was like i kind of want to do that and i told my parents like i want to be a musician they're like okay let's give you a list of every job that kind of is related to music but has stability and try to get you to do that and uh, and they just like went down the list like how about you make instruments? And I was like, I don't know. I'm not handy at all. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it was funny. And it took, it took years for them. You know, they were very supportive. They, um, they tried their best to get me in good situations and meeting musicians who could be mentors. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a evolution with, uh, their reception to that. But, uh, but they're cool with it now. You know, they they actually are. They listen to you know all the tracks I work on and give awesome. me feedback. Like it's it's pretty cool. Oh, that's awesome. So, when did you start playing out in public with with bands and and friends and and, and deciding and, and working on your craft basically? Well, basically, um, it was around when I was like fifteen, and people were doing a lot of like these kind of pop punk shows and church basements mm -hmm. and um and you know kids would kind of like you know sneak beers in there and like <laughs> you know like it was like a little like hang and i used to do those on a regular basis with my band which was terrible at the time you know I, I don't think anyone playing on the bill ever could sing could play yeah. in tune could play in in time it was just but it was fine it was fun we yeah. had fun but then you know i finally got together in high school with some musicians who uh who really you know excelled for being high school kids they could sing in tune they could sing harmonies they could actually one of the, the members of that high school band we went on to tour like in our through our twenties with another artist, but um, oh, cool. So we started playing uh, in New York. We we're from New Jersey. We started playing some of the spots in New York, like CBGBs oh. and all the offshoot venues they had, like CB's Gallery, CB's Downstairs Lounge, mm -hmm. yeah. and then uh, Knitting Factory. I always love the Knitting Factory. 
Yeah, the, the old the old one. The old, like, yeah, right. I, I grew up in New Jersey. I used to go there when, when I was. A, oh, really? Yeah, what part of New Jersey. Uh, Central Jersey, uh, Hunterdon, in Somerset County. You're like right on the border of the two. So Branchburg. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm from Morris County. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, used to go there all the time. There was a little record shop on the second floor of some building in Morristown called Pellet Records, and I used to go there all the time and buy bootlegs. Oh yeah! Yes. <laughs> cool. Awesome. I don't. I doubt they're still there because the the guy that that the guy was probably in his f- late fifties, early sixties, and he wasn't even the owner, but he was there all the time. And he dude, that dude was on his last legs when in the nineties. So I doubt that place is still around. All those record stores close. It's it's so awful because when I grew up in Madison, New Jersey. We had two record stores on the same block. Yeah. And one was like the alternative one where like the hip kids who drank a lot of coffee would <laughs> go to. And then the other one, the other one was, was known as the corporate one just because they had two other locations. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so a little bit of success, a little bit of local success equals corporate. Yeah, exactly. I it. So it's like, oh, I don't go to, I don't go to that shop. Yeah. I go, to, like, <laughs> I go buy my Husker Du and Dinosaur Jr. at the other place. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. All right. So, so you, so you're playing in New York. Um, at what point? You end up actually going out to LA, right, and then hooking up with Parliament and uh, and and Funkadelic. How did that all come about? I mean, was, is there a what's the progression between you know playing in CBGBs and and hooking up with those guys? Well, um, it basically, I started a record with Bernie Worrell from Parliament Funkadelic mm-hmm. um, when I was in LA. That was the first record we did together. Then it kind of coincided with me moving back to New Jersey oh, for, okay. for a number of years, where where Bernie lives. It's, you know, all those guys were, were from Jersey. Yeah. Um, so we kind of started uh, a live lineup from there, and um, you know, I stayed in New Jersey for a few years and two, and we you know, toured a lot and I got to, to really meet interesting people and see how the rest of the country really looks and yeah. functions, which is like, I think just an amazing learning experience for anyone. Absolutely. Yeah. It's really important because you, you really learn the, the difference in, in lifestyle. That's uh yeah. That some isn't just like common knowledge to certain people who've lived on the coast, for instance. Yeah, exactly. But, exactly. And you grow up in New, New Jersey or I've got friends out in, on the West coast who, who spent, you know, the majority of their lives in, in LA area. And it really helps you start to understand how this country works and, and how different everybody is. Exactly. Yeah. And so that was like the, I think one of the biggest benefits uh, other than developing my musical skills by touring was, was getting that, that really essential knowledge that dictates just how I think about the world now and, yeah. and, and the country at this moment. But, um, so I did that for a, a, you know, a few years and produced some records for, for Bernie. And then, um, and then after, uh, I left the band to kind of pursue some other things, um, I spent about a few years in New York just freelancing as like a side person musician. And then I realized that I wanted to get back into production. And, uh, and I, I had a lot of contacts in LA already from being there before. Right. So, uh, 
I decided that was kind of like the the next stop, and that was uh, about three years ago. I moved. Yeah. Okay. Moved back. Oh, so, Sarah, what brought you out to LA? Um. Well, actually, it's funny because. I, I moved here late January. Um, I had a bunch of shows in February, uh, various like venues, like, you know, with, with a few different bands from New York. Um, and so like my, my vision was like, I'm going to, you know, pursue live performance. Like right. continue to do that. Like I had in New York, but then the pandemic hit. And so yeah. that was kind of funny. Um, that's a 180 degree turn for you right there. Yeah, totally. So, but luckily, I don't know. Luckily I had like sort of met some people like pre pandemic, like in the scene and that sort of helped me, you know, later on down the line. I mean, I met Evan luckily like in February. And yeah, how did you guys meet up? Uh, we met through a mutual collaborator actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. So that was, that was pretty cool. Um, and then can you tell me who that was? Uh, are you allowed? There's like, it's like a few different people we played in bands with okay. in New York. Yeah. yeah. So you it's kept, kept, kept bumping into each other then. Yeah. Yeah, we did. We kind of like, you know, there was, we, I remember we just, we did sort of bump yeah, into each other. Yeah. We kept like, yeah, running into each other. Yeah. Different shows and things. And, um, so that's how we sort of got to know each other in the beginning. Um, and then we stayed in touch, you know, through the duration of the pandemic. Um, you know, we would send each other ideas, like little voice memos. We talk about music, kind of our, our opinions on various things in the yeah. music world. And then it sort of, I guess it sort of evolved into a friendship. And then it was like June, July that we started actually like collaborating, like spending time in the studio. Um, but trig and like purple witch you know the project itself mm -hmm. came about really spontaneously in a way uh we just you know we decided to cut a track and it was like you know a week later we had this thing wow yeah. step one get a landline jump off the pedestal his long-term cool and me going on flowers. Hot tapes, the Q-Bud Chronicles. This one, this one. Don't remember, don't remember the rest. When you turn it into a flower, your body believes you. It's pretty cool how it all came together. So when you guys, so the first single, it was Trig. Yeah. Was that well formed before you went to the studio or was it, was it a lot of improv uh, lyrically and musically? It was a complete experiment. Um, cool. We had no demos or we didn't workshop anything. We oh, just wow. kind of started with, with a groove and just trying to get a feel and added some instruments on top of it. And everything was really spontaneous. It kind of came together in a few days and, then uh sarah i'll let you talk about the the words <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean it's funny originally we thought it might be like a saxophone feature you know and mm -hmm. and then it was like and i was just playing stuff and i was like hmm like i'm not sure what i'm gonna do you know like maybe i'll just improvise when i get there um but then like a couple days before the session it like a light bulb went off in my head. And I was like, Oh, like maybe, you know, like I have all these words, like maybe I should do something with them. So like the day before and like the day of, I basically just like 
assimilated some of the poetry I'd been working on. You know, some of it is like a couple years old. Like, you know, some of it, are, wow. you know, there's fragments that I wrote when I was at my day job in Brooklyn, like oh, wow. suffering, you know, so yeah. like... <laughs> So then like, uh, there, you know, other fragments I wrote throughout the pandemic and sort of, it all came together in this like cohesive thing. And then day of, I just did it, you know, and like, we did it in one take. Um, I didn't really have any like rehearsed vision for like exactly how I wanted it to go down. It just sort of flowed naturally, um, when we were recording to tape. So that was pretty cool. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, it was so, really fun. So instrumentally, is it just the two of you doing everything? Well, for uh, this track, we really wanted like this dense percussion sound. So we had like uh, for the bed of the track, it's two drummers playing. I'm one of them. We had another drummer and then a uh, percussionist. And we just recorded that for like the duration of the song without knowing where anything else was going to go. Wow. We just started with like a groove. And uh, on the second track, it's just us playing everything. Yeah. But for the first one, we wanted to get a few other musicians involved mm-hmm. um, and just kind of have a little collective situation. Man, that's awesome. So, now, this, the second song, Eulogy for a Sunbeam, was it uh, improvised, done in, done in one take, basically? How, how, did, how did that come about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, guys are, you guys are looking at each other one laughing. Done so. in one take. Oh, my gosh. I mean, at least the... Yeah, the vocals definitely were. I remember. Um, I mean, everything, everything was. Yeah. yeah, I mean the whole. Oh, sorry, my phone. <laughs> it's my mother calling. Actually, <laughs> do you need to do you need to take it? Because no, that's, that's okay. Okay, uh, mom, I'm in an interview. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing a podcast. You have no idea how important this is. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the second one really like I was kind of doing some experiments with like just different frequencies and like grooves with electronics and um, like actually vintage electronics, something like new, we didn't use any like new technology for it. Oh, but, cool. uh, but I was just getting some sounds with some old synthesizers and, and such. And then I started playing some drums over it and then got to the organ. And then suddenly I just kept stacking it with stuff. And, you know, Sarah was kind of grooving to it and starting to get her flow down and then, uh, you know, she took some time to string together some of her ideas and then just like knocked it out in one take. Wow. Yeah. Man. That was wild. I remember when I realized I had nothing to do with you. We reconfigure as purpose, continuous revisions. Where do you start? Where do I begin? All the emotion evaporates into flowers. All the rage, all those who come before. Writing speeches behind the scenes. This is the lifetime we've been waiting for. I'll tell you what. In listening to the songs, they don't sound like things that are just strung together and and knocked off on the first take. It you know it sounds really cohesive and and really well thought out and put together so it that you guys did an amazing job on it thank, thank you. you i was blown away and and i you know jazz doesn't come naturally to me <laughs> I'm, I'm a you know right now I'm, I'm a mid to late 40s dude from new jersey living in virginia you know jazz isn't my favorite genre i do listen to it 
but I don't know a whole lot about it. Totally, yeah. So this, to me, if if I get into it, then I think it's a success. So I think you guys succeeded really well on it. So congratulations from me. I get whatever, for whatever that's worth. But thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Are you guys planning on making more? Are, are there more tracks in the can, or are you planning on on writing more? Is and basically, I guess what I'm what I'm leading to is is, is this these two tracks are they leading up to a, a full length album or an EP maybe? Yeah, um, we're planning on an EP for early 2021. Awesome. Um, and we're going to be releasing a song a month until uh, then we have, you know, our next song is pretty much done almost, except for one uh, last component and mixing. And we'll have that out next month. And then we're just kind of trying to keep a consistent schedule of, of releasing a song a month that that's easy to digest. It's not inundating people with like content because there's so much to to think about these days that uh you know <laughs> yeah well that's one of the things with the pandemic that's that's been difficult since nobody can really tour or play live everybody's working on live streaming or doing their own little projects and putting stuff out so and now and you know you you've got to fight other artists releasing stuff constantly so being consistent but not overwhelming i think is a really good way to go about doing that totally yeah yeah sure are you planning on taking this stuff live when things start to open up and you you can actually play out yes oh man that was a good answer (laughs) are you guys gonna have to put together a band to do it or can you guys do it on your own we're going to put together a band um, yeah. and try to do as much of it live as possible. Yeah. Um, it's just something about the energy of like a full band show is for me exciting and fun. And I think that we can, you know, get some great musicians who can even add their spin to what we're already doing and, uh, and enhance it live. I would love to see one of your shows because I can't, I, I want to see, how you guys pull this some of this stuff off live because one of my favorite things about seeing live shows is to hear how things differ in a live setting from in the studio with all the overdubs and overlays and mixing and mastering and all that and then you know hearing somebody do something that has so many layers and hearing how they translate that into a live environment and I'm really, really anxious to hear how you guys do that because you guys have a lot of layers in the music. Yeah. 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 It'll be really cool be to, yeah. Under range. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, 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 you know, your thing, man. That's, that's kind of your, your forte right there. Yeah. Are you planning on doing this long term or is, it, is this something between bands for you guys? Um, I think we intend on keeping it going and uh, still pursuing other projects as, you know, independent producers and musicians but it's still kind of our home base is, is this project. Good. I like it. Cause, yeah. Cause I like what I'm hearing from you guys. Now, how do you guys come up with the name purple witch of Culver? Ooh, fun question. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so purple witch is sort of this motif in my life. Like for the last six or seven years, it started as a Halloween costume. Like every year I would be like a different iteration of a purple witch, you know, like okay. some kind of different, like, you know, 
different shade of purple wig and like, you know, an outfit, like the whole thing. Like I was always uh, some kind of purple witch and it's sort of started to become one of my identities. And like a lot of my friends just kind of know that about me. So yeah. it was funny because, um, we were talking about band names and purple witch came up and then Evan, who is apparently a historian of uh, the Wizard of Oz, uh, brought up oh, wow. that it was filmed in Culver City, which is near us, okay. you know, relative since we're in L.A. So then we were like, oh, like Purple Witch of Culver. Um, and I think, you know, we really dig the symbolism of the witch in the Wizard of Oz. Like yeah, that was the good like witch and the bad witch. And, okay. Yeah. Uh, so we kind of tied it all together. It actually was a really quick process of coming up with this name. It was like a 10 minute phone call. Yeah. Really? Like we didn't like workshop it for days. Like <laughs> some other bands. Like, yeah, we we're purple witch of Culver. We're like, yeah, let's just do it. <laughs> that's awesome. Cause for so many bands that have come on this show, it, that's the hardest part is finding a name that everybody agrees on. And that's not already taken. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I, I, I don't know anybody else that, that's come up with Purple Witch of Culver, so that's... <laughs> yeah. So is the Purple Witch a good witch or a bad witch? Oh, definitely good. Okay, definitely. Good. We, only, we only mess with the good magic. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> well, guys, I mean, this has been a blast. I, I, I'm looking forward to new music. How, where can people keep up with you guys and, and find the new releases as they come out? Well, you know, a few different places. You can follow us on Spotify. That's a good way to get the notifications. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're also on Bandcamp if you want to download the songs and also be notified of the new releases. Uh, then, you know, we're on Apple Music, YouTube, like all the different platforms, actually. Instagram. Oh, yeah. Instagram. Yeah. You can follow us on Instagram. Oh, awesome. Purple Witch of Culver. It's kind of fun. You know, it's like a good way to stay connected. Yeah. Everybody complain, and myself included, complain a lot about social media. But, man, it's it's helped out a lot during this pandemic. Helped, helped Absolutely. A, yeah, it's helped so many people stay in touch with friends, bands that they like, you know, our other artists that they like. And uh, so much as I... I myself knock it it's really really helped out a lot of friends that i know who are musicians and artists and other mediums to, to kind of stay afloat and keep their creative juices flowing so yeah i'm the same way with social media I, you know i've basically stayed away from it for most of my life but yeah. i realized during the pandemic you know there are a lot of people who are just feeling very isolated and it is a really immediate way to feel connected and, and feel immersed in some sort of scene or cause. Yeah. And uh, so it is, you know, I think it, it has kind of found a place that's, uh, that's been a positive kind of use of it. Yeah, it has. And, and for a medium that has had so many negative things associated with it, it's really actually helped out a lot of people, I think. So do you, mm -hmm. are you guys uh, planning on doing any, any uh, live streaming events or anything like that? I know that was, that was real popular way early in the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. I was like PP, like pre pandemic and then the AP after pandemic. Uh, maybe we'll, uh -huh. I'll start calling periods of time AP or PP. <laughs> That's so funny. I was going with BCE and like before COVID era yeah. and like after, after COVID era. <laughs> they, and um, this, this is, there's like, you know, so far, what, 10 month span of uh, the DCE, 
during the during COVID era. era. Yeah, I know. Oh my God, it's wild. It's yeah, I mean. So oh have, man, have you guys ever thought about doing uh, anything like that? You know, doing a a, a little live stream or, or event like that, or maybe maybe streaming you guys working in the, working things out in the yeah. studio? Because I've, I've seen some of that too. Definitely. Yeah, um, we will definitely be doing some sort of live stream in December. Yeah, um, we're still trying to pick our platform. Yeah. Um, you know, it will at least be on the label's Instagram or something like that. But okay. we're trying to see some of these other kind of sponsored outlets now that reach even further. You know, we're looking into that. So we're going to see what's effective. But either way, we're going to we'll have something for for everyone. And yeah. what, what label is it that they should follow to, for that? It's uh, Lawantica Records spelled L-O-A-N-T-A-K-A. It's often mispronounced, but it's my record label and um, it's, uh, I run it and uh, we are, we'll probably be streaming from that Instagram if it's not something else, but we'll, we'll keep everyone posted. Awesome. Awesome. And I'm glad you pronounced it for me because I saw it written down and I was like, I don't want to butcher that. So so thank you. Everyone does. Yeah. (laughs) Well guys, thank you so much for, for spending so much time with me today and, and explaining everything. This is a really wild story to get you guys together. And and the music is so unique, which, which is what kind of drew me to it. Once I started hearing it, I'm like, this is good. I really hope they start putting out some more stuff. So hearing that you guys have plans to, to release stuff every month, that that brightens my day and makes me feel good. So thank you, guys. Yay, thank, thank you. you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hanson, Scott Barrett. 
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 